Hello and welcome to The Tally Ho, our podcast all about classic cult TV show The Prisoner, with me Eason and me Banks. And today we're following up our podcast episode about Fallout with a series of conversations with previous guests who have been on the Tally Ho series in order to ask them what they think was going on in the final episode. Yeah, so we spoke to them about Fallout itself, about what it means to them, their memories of watching it, and also in general what the whole series of The Prisoner means to them personally. We are, as ever, really grateful for everyone who volunteered to return to the podcast to record their thoughts on Fallout. It's really interesting to now open it up and think about how other people perceived the events and the meaning of the show to them, because it clearly is an episode which is not meant to have one definitive interpretation. Yeah, and it was fascinating to hear their opinions ranging from how they felt about it when they first watched the finale to how it's impacted sometimes their life and their career and all the way through to how they feel about it now looking back on the series as a whole all these years later. So we've got six conversations coming up for you now and we hope you enjoy them. So first up we have Rick Davey who runs the Unmutual website. Rick you will know very well from the Tally Ho podcast. He provides a wonderful news piece every episode and uh, he actually joined us for the episode Checkmate to talk about his thoughts on that episode. So take it away Rick. Well, news of old friends travels quickly in a few hours. To you and to me news is like air. So breathe it deeply or draw it from far and wide. What do I think Fallout was all about? Well, that's a, a, a wide question, and I'm not sure there's an answer. The way I look at it, and it's a strapline I put on almost every article and, and book I ever put together, and that's that the village is all around us, and we're all prisoners of ourselves. It's how I sum up not just Fallout, but the series. And I think what Fallout is about, it's about what we do in our lives. It's about where we take ourselves. It's about what we do on a day-to-day basis, what we do with our kids, what we do with our parents. It's all about what we do and how we conduct ourselves. And if you conduct yourself in a certain way, you're less likely to be a prisoner of yourself. So what McGowan was trying to say effectively is that the world that we've created around us, we are a prisoner of by virtue of the fact that we control ourselves and we control things in our lives that maybe we shouldn't be controlling, or the state controls, I should say. When I say we, I mean the state that we live in or whatever. And what Patrick was trying to tell us, I think, was that we've created a village and that we're all stuck in that village. We're all victims of bureaucracy. We're all people who have been imprisoned by something in our life, whether that's we're imprisoned because we don't have any money, whether we're imprisoned because of our job, whether we're imprisoned because our state has too much control over us. All those things apply. And I think Patrick was just trying to tell us, just open your eyes, look outside the window, and you'll see that the only thing that's stopping you from not being a prisoner of your life is yourself. I don't think he was telling us to be an anarchist. I think he was just telling us to look around ourselves at what the world is. And that's what I think Fallout is about. It, it, it's The whole series in one 50-minute finale is what I would describe it as. Many people have suggested that it was not the best ending that the series could have had. I know where they're coming from in that. And when I first saw the series, I was 10 when the series started. I was 11 when it finished. 
played over 17 weeks, obviously, on Channel 4. I think there was a break at Christmas, so it probably took about 18 or 19 weeks um, until I saw the finale. And when I was 10, I kind of thought, what, what have I just watched? He got out, yeah, but then did he get out because it, it's cyclical? So did he escape at the end because his door opens automatically? Did he, did he get out? Was that, was that an ending? You know, who was the bad guy? You know, but then when you think about it, and maybe you watch it a second time and you think about what you were being told, I agree with Patrick when he said there was no other way he could have ended it. He could have phoned up Roger Moore. I think he's quoted it saying, I could have phoned up Roger Moore or Sean Connery or one of those guys. And you storm into the office at the end of Fallout and that's who number one is. He's been controlling it all along, some blow-self type figure. But that, that would have just been a cop-out. What Lagoon gave us was something extraordinary. And I think without Fallout, Yes, we probably remember The Prisoner, but we probably remember it in the same way that we remember Department S or Random Hopkirk as a really kind of different series that had something to say, was kind of good, and, and, and the ending, you know, it was a bad guy at the end, James Bond-type ending, and, and he got out. What McGowan gave us was something that we could talk about. The fact that we're talking about this tonight shows us that Fallout was the perfect ending of the series, because if he hadn't have done that, and he'd have just done... Oh, it was the bad guy. He's the head of the British Secret Service. Oh, there we go. If he'd have just done that, we wouldn't be sat here this evening talking about it. So it was the perfect ending. However unsatisfactory people say is, oh, it's a mess, it's this. He clearly wrote it when he was on drugs or he was drunk or whatever. The sort of insults that people fly out about it. No, that's doing it such a disservice. It is, it is a complete work of genius. I remember watching it when it was out. I was 11 years old. And I kind of... Once Upon a Time didn't grab me so much. I love it now, but when you're 10 or 11, you kind of some of the nuances pass you by. So I'd watched Once Upon a Time, and I thought to myself, I, I'm not sure I'm enjoying this episode. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, is what I remember thinking at the time. Now, obviously, that's fantastic now. It's great that it makes you feel uncomfortable. That's what it's supposed to do. And you, you're watching the two actors really come together in such a fantastic way as what happened in that episode. But then at the end, you hear those words, what do you desire? Number one, I'll take you. And then the, then the episode ends. Now, these days with binge watching and Netflix and everything, you can just click a button or click your DVD and watch the next episode straight away. Then, you know, that was the, the days of the proper TV cliffhanger. You know, I had to wait a whole week to see Fallout. So I built myself up and built myself up. I'm going to find out who number one is. You know, I, I didn't know any spoilers. You know, I was 11. You don't know what a spoiler is. There was no one else at my school was watching it. There was no one with an older brother that could turn around and say, I mean, you know, it was him that did it in the end. I didn't have any of that. So I, I remember building up over a week, and it was a Monday night, and every week I had to ask my mum if it was all right, if I could stay up, because it was Channel 4, and it was on at about 10.30. So for an 11-year-old to stay up at 10.30, it was kind of a big deal in 1983, So I remember watching Fallout for the first time, and I remember being literally on the edge of my seat, and I was aware pretty early on that I wasn't going to get the standard James Bond type ending. Even at that age, I was aware that that wasn't what was going to happen. I was aware that I was being told something. You know, they, when they brought um, number 48 out, Alexis Cannon, and they're doing the stuff with him, I'm thinking that they're, they're saying something here about youth. And then when number two's there, they're saying something about establishment. I felt even at that early age that I was being told something. And that was an extraordinary feeling. It was almost like an awakening. There are lots of awakenings that kids have in, in their lives, you know, different. When you start high school, that's a bit of an awakening. And, you know, maybe when you get your first girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, that's a bit of an awakening. 
felt I was having an awakening with the prisoner. I was still at primary school. But I felt for the first time that television or film could tell you something, not just entertain you, but could tell you something. And I remember thinking that that was almost like a the birth of something, not just with regards to the prisoner and the fact that I've always loved the prisoner, but it gave me a greater understanding of, of myself and the world around me that I don't think newspapers or news or, or, or teachers or parents could have done. So I know it sounds a bit odd, but the prisoner kind of taught me so much about life in that 50 minutes because it, it showed me things that I'd never as a child seen before in film or television or in life. So as the episode went on, number one is then revealed. It just made sense. Even to me as a kid, it meant, well, yeah, that's exactly right. It's him. Of course it's him. And then all I wanted to do was get out and escape. So, you know, the action-adventure side of the 11-year-old comes out then with the guns and the escape. And But I remember feeling as I was saying goodbye to something which had been a friend of mine for 17 weeks. I'd never seen a program like The Prisoner before where I absolutely was glued to it every week. And it was all I wanted to watch that week. I videotaped the episodes, but we had a really unreliable Akai prop-loading video recorder, um, which would you press record, and you record the episode, as far as you're aware. Then when you went to play it back, it would just be a fuzzy screen and no sound. And that did it about 50% of the time. So I only actually ended up with about six episodes out of the 17 to watch over and over again. And this was before kind of home video and you can go out and buy them or what. But as far as I was aware, there was, there was nothing I could go out and buy. So it was almost like when the music plays as they're, you know, they've escaped and they're, they're walking around London or whatever. Um, uh, what's it called? September Ballad, I think is the name of the song, isn't it? And Rag March, those two pieces of music. I remember feeling really sad that those that 17 weeks were over. And I felt the same only a couple of times when it comes to TV and films. Um, I felt the same when Buffy ended. But when The Prisoner ended, and I knew it was ending because you know you know that the episode finishes at half 11 and it's 24 minutes past 11. And you know they've got her out of the so You know it's the end of the thing. I remember sitting there just feeling really sad and feeling that the past the past 17 weeks had given me so much it was almost like i knew that no other television program would give me that again and this was my first and last perfect television experience but then the door closed automatically on his house just like it did in the village and then you see him coming up on the runway and you just think to yourself i'll just watch it all over again and that's exactly what we did. My mum had gone to bed. It was me and my brother stayed up. We'd asked if we could stay up. But they'd already gone to bed. Normally we just all crept up and went to bed. It's half eleven. And Arrival was one of the ones we were able to take. Do you watch Arrival? Yeah, go on then. So we put Arrival on. Straight after Fallout ended. And of course, it just continues from where Fallout ended. He's on the runway. And the whole thing is cyclical. And I thought, that's just absolute genius. Even at 11, I knew it was genius. I knew, I, I knew, in an odd way, I'd definitely never seen anything like that, and I knew I would never see anything like that again. And that's how I felt at the time. Fallout Now, all these years on, I mean, I first watched that in 84. January 84, when I first watched Fallout, so how many years ago is that? Too many to mention. I spend most of my time now defending it, 
to people that either don't understand it, which I can kind of understand why people don't understand it. If it's not for them, it's not for them. People who do understand it but think it's rubbish, and that annoys me because how can anybody think that something so brilliant is rubbish? But it also, I find myself reflecting on my life and on what my life is, is, is going to be. You know, I've got three kids, I'm married, um, so life has lots of journeys to go on yet because our youngest is only nine, so we've got to watch him grow up. Our middle one's only 11, so we're just watching him start high school. And our daughter's 15, and we've got obviously all the journeys that a 15-year-old girl goes through. And, and it seems, seems strange, but a 50-minute episode of a TV series is something that I can watch and never get bored of. But when I do watch it, it, it enables me to analyse my life and analyse life in general and the world around us. And it never stops doing that. Every time I watch Fallout, yeah, it, it, it sounds crazy, but you watch Fallout and there's not necessarily something you spot that you haven't spotted before. There's only so many things you can spot in a cavern. Um, the dialogue we all know, and we can read the scripts and whatever. We know the dialogue more or less off by heart. But I find myself daydreaming in Fallout. Although I'm gripped by it, I find myself daydreaming because of the themes that it tells us. So every time Alexis Canner's on there, you're thinking about oh, well, he's representing youth, and you think of youth, and you think back to your youth and whether you did things that you maybe shouldn't have done, and whether you were rebelling or whatever. So Fallout now is almost like a teaching tool for me just to sit and think about my life and about what The Prisoner means to me. Fallout's the perfect episode to finish The Prisoner because it, it, it closes the book or, or the, and then opens a new book. As I said, it's cyclical, but it's the perfect way for me to spend 50 minutes thinking about my life, remembering my parents who are no longer with us, and think uh, almost... It's hard to put into words, but it's like a photo album of my life because Fallout has been part of my life since I first saw it at age 11. The prison has been a big part of my life since I was 11. Sounds People listen to this thinking, he's bonkers, it's a TV series. But, you know, you speak to Doctor Who fans, Star Trek fans, that's a big part of people's lives. And the prisoner's the same for me. So for Fallout does, every time I watch it, it allows me to replay my own life and what my life has meant to me and what life should mean to people every time I watch it. So Fallout to me, it's almost like a, a comfort blanket, if you like. But also, it's, a, it's, a, it's my life's photo album as well, if that makes sense. The Prisoner to me is more than just a television series. It's a teaching tool about life and about what we should do with life and about what nations should do and about what people should do when they vote and about people what they should do when they think when they come up against bureaucracy when they come up against idiots uh, they come up against things that annoy them the prisoner and fallout especially um, tells us how to make a television program that makes you think because although there's some great enigmatic shows out there and you do wonder when you watch lost for example oh, what's going to happen next but at the end of the day you get to the end and it's it's, it's cobbler's it doesn't really tell you anything about life about the world around you, great though it might be in terms of visual entertainment. But what The Prisoner does is it teaches us about the world around us. No television series has done that. There's a guy called Roger Goodman um, who's written various books and he interviewed um, Lagoon is a good friend of mine. He, when he was interviewed by Chris Rodley for um, a documentary called Six Into One back in the 80s, he summed it up.
it up perfectly when he said the prisoner and Patrick McGoon threw down the gauntlet of TV and film people. Threw down the gauntlet of follow that. And I find it amazing that 52 years on from when the prisoner was being filmed, nothing's followed it. And that's what the prisoner means to me. And next up, we have some thoughts from Fiona Moore, who is Professor of Business Anthropology at Royal Holloway University of London. And Fiona is also the co-author of the Fallout Guide to the Prisoner and joined us for the episode Dance of the Dead. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow villagers, students, this is the professor speaking. I have an urgent message for you. Uh, the joy of the prisoner is that there's uh, thousands of different ways it can be interpreted. So in some ways saying what's it about is, uh, you know, missing the uh, the point of the series. You know, the whole series is uh, something that could be about many things. And likewise, Fallout could be uh, about a lot of things. You know, it could be uh, the final catharsis of uh, uh, the uh, individual as he uh, recognizes uh, himself and uh, takes uh, his uh, ste- steps towards uh, appreciating himself as an individual. It could be about the breakdown of society. There's this interesting symbolic thing going with uh, uh, where you've got um, you've, you've got the kid and then you've got uh, number two, the old number two uh, coming back from the dead. You know, is there some kind of religious reference here, almost a kind of a triple God, you know, the young, the old and uh, the uh, individual? You've got you've got a kind of a Freudian interpretation where uh, the prisoner uh, literally uncovers his own id gibbering. I, 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 you know, it's it's just so uh surreal so complicated so many ways you uh, you could in in some ways i almost uh, advise uh, would advise people uh, if you're watching it for the first time i'd say you know uh, don't try and think about it just let it wash over you and then maybe watch it again and start thinking about the meanings but uh, at first you know just kind of feel just uh, intuit and uh, see where it leads you the way the prisoner had been exploring reality and unreality and uh, the psychological and uh, the social kind of means that uh, at the end, you've pretty much got to go in um, a direction that's surreal, that's apocalyptic, that kind of shatters and renews the system. Again, maybe, you know, just kind of thinking about my last answer, maybe if I had to sum it up at all, that's what I would say it was about. You know, whatever you want to atter- assume the system is, uh, fallout is the shattering and renewing of the system, the breaking up of something and the uh, establishing of something uh, something new from it. Whether And whether you want to see that as uh, the psyche, the damaged psyche rebuilding itself as a new individual or society in the 60s kind of uh, hitting a catharsis, deciding things must change and then being the change or... Uh, uh, whether you want to even just see it um, as read, just, uh, you know, as a straight spy story in which, uh, you know, this uh, uh, strange plot is exposed and uh, the uh, nameless hero goes back to his old life. Either way, it's a shattering and a renewing. It's a catharsis and a rebuilding. I saw it when I was in graduate school. I uh, I came to the prisoner pretty late, as uh, I've uh, said, said to you before, um, I'd been aware of it for some time, but then um, I actually saw an episode at the Doctor Who Society uh, in Oxford, and 
you know, I was absolutely uh, blown away by it. You know, it wasn't anything like what I expected and that in a good way. And so the uh, president of the society at the time was a real prisoner fan. And so uh, if he saw anybody was uh, interested in learning more, he was happy to show them. So uh, I watched the whole rest of the series you know uh, in his house you know on his television you know usually uh, in company of three or four other people some of whom were new like I was and you know and it was just um, as I said I just remember seeing we saw uh, I remember we saw Once Upon a Time and Fallout together which I think is a good way of doing it and I also remember that uh, yeah you know it was strange it was weird but at the same time it was right one of the great things about The Prisoner is that it was one of the first times um, after after television uh, left that literally initial pioneering stage when people were sort of like, what, what can we do with this medium at all? It was the first point at which somebody decided to uh, formally use it for art. You know, you could say there's accidental art. I mean, things like uh, some of Rudolf Cartier's uh, plays, you know, are art. <laughs> um, and uh, some of the play for today's and the like are art, but they weren't kind of setting out to make art. In a sense, The Prisoner seems to me like the first conscious, self-conscious art television and Fallout is part of that project. You know, it's, uh, again, seen in the context of the 60s and what was going on at the time. Um, I mean, I'm, um, you know, uh, fight me over it, but I'm a, uh, a big fan of Yoko Ono and uh, some of that for the same reasons that I love The Prisoner, because she had this approach to art that was surreal, it was minimalist, it was almost anti-art in some ways, which I think was what a lot of people didn't like. They would say, you know, kind of, uh, you know, she's written a poem about uh, telling people to smile every day. How's that art? Or, you know, she makes a film with a bunch of people's bums in it. How's that art? But, you know, once you actually see it and you think about it, you know, yes, it is art. You know, it's very simple, very uh, colloquial art, but it's art. And in the same way, you know, kind of how can you have... uh, art that's uh, on at prime time uh, on ITV every night or uh, not if your regional uh, programming has decided to shunt it all around the uh, in weird ways. But it's art, you know, and um, it's unexpected art. And I think that's, uh, you know, Fallout is in some ways one of the uh, places where it is uh, kind of explicitly goes into the artistic. You know, there's some uh, stories which are art, but you can still interpret them as a spy story or uh, as an adventure, even if a somewhat fantastical one, you know, where uh, Fallout uh, really is just uh, kind of uh, throwing everything to the wind and saying, you know, uh, you can't just sit down and enjoy this as a straightforward spy story. You're forced to interpret. You're forced to uh, look at it as art. I literally have no words to sum up uh, my feelings on The Prisoner. There's so It's such a complicated series. I see something new every time I watch it. You know, I mean, I've written a book on it uh, with uh, Alan Stevens, and I still haven't, uh, don't think I've managed to completely uh, uh, understand everything about it. And I think you could spend multiple lifetimes understanding The Prisoner, which is uh, its joy. But it does mean that, uh, you know, uh, can I sum up uh, The Prisoner? No. <laughs> You know, I'm happy to carry on uh, watching it, and uh, maybe someday I will be able to sum up how I feel about The Prisoner. And next up is Robert Fairclough, who is the author of The Official Companion to The Prisoner, and also the two volumes of The Prisoner Script Books. And Rob joined us very recently to talk about one of his favourite episodes of The Prisoner, The Girl Who Was Deaf. A brilliantly devised course, delivered by a leading teacher, subliminally learned, checked, and corrected by an infallible authority. 
Um, what do I think Fallout was about? Um, it's about a lot of things, really. Um, that's why I think it's still, all these years later, it's still a wonderful piece of television, filmmaking, call it what you want. But it's dealt with reaction. I mean, of course, famously, it said that, you know, the switchboard at ATV was jammed and nobody could understand it because it was incomprehensible. That's why it's worn incredibly well, because if you look at it, or if you look at other TV shows at the time, um, no matter how, you know, arty or intellectual they were, they usually told you in no uncertain terms in the dialogue what they're about. Of course, Fallout doesn't do that. <laughs> um, it's more like an avant-garde film in that sense. I mean, all the clues are there, and it, and it, you know, if you analyse it, it stacks up and works as a, as a, you know, kind of critique of the cult of personality and and stuff. It doesn't tell you in the dialogue, and I think that's. I mean, if you think of modern shows now, like I don't know, Life on Mars or Twin Peaks or Lost, even which, as we know, is quite indebted to the prisoner. Um, they all do that. You know, the, the television's come a long way since, um, or rather, television's caught up with Fallout, if you like. So there's that, which I think is tremendous. And also, what's going on in the story reflects exactly what was going on in the production, because by that point, McGuin was the number one man. I mean, there was no one left. I mean, George Mark Stein had gone, and he was in total control of it. And um, like in Fallout, the prisoner's in total control of the village, um, which is a kind of marvellous kind of sort of dual image thing going on. So there's that, and it explains why his foreign credit isn't Patrick McGowan, it's Prisoner. So he obviously saw the character and his position in the series as identical by the end, you know, which is fascinating stuff. And it's also, at that point, I think, it's about the 60s, you know. I mean, if you think about 1968, um, the year of revolutions, there's a revolution in the village, in the real world, um, there was a Paris riot, there was protests against the Vietnam War, there was a Tet Offensive in Vietnam, which was um, famously shown on television, um, and people protested about, you know, students being shot in America by the National Guard. All that stuff was going on. Um, in terms of popular culture, the fallout fits right alongside things like, you know, performance and if and things like that. I mean, performance particularly, it, it, it's the same as a prison in the sense in fallout as it's about identity. You know, obviously, performance deals with the underworld and rock and a reclusive rock star, but it's, it is about identity and, for, and fallout's about identity. Like who is number one and the dark side of the prison, if you like. And if, too, you know, it's a set in this establishment um, that rebels um, end up firing machine guns at at the end, you know, and it, it all kind of, so, you know, in that sense, you know, fallout's fascinating as a part of like, what was going on in, you know, the kind of zeitgeist in 1968. Um, and, you know, it's just a great piece of 60s madness, really, because if you think of things like, you know, Casino Royale and her nuts, that was, I mean, um, Fallout looks like, um, Fallout looks like, you know, Casino Royale directed by, or written by Samuel Beckett and directed by Richard Lester, you know, it's completely off the wall. There's all that stuff going on in it. Um, but I think the thing that I... I mean, I think it's about, in broad terms, I think it's about the cult of personality. Um, all the way through the prison up to this point, he's been told he has, he's a number, not a person, etc. And suddenly, he's put on a throne and told he's the greatest. <laughs> and it's the kind of final 
twist, isn't it? That he's he's presented as offered of control of the village, yet he he already controls it because he's number one anyway. So it's it's a wonderful kind of kind of fraudulent idea that the, the ego completely takes over, and you know, and that's what he needs in that market. You know, I think I think it's the ending he wanted. Um, but McGurn wanted because he always saw it as a fantasy. He always saw it as something philosophical, something surrealist. Um, and Fallout is a final push into surrealism and fantasy. And it's very striking, isn't it, that the prisoner doesn't say anything. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, the narrative at the beginning of every other episode had asked, who is number one? Where's the village? Who's side you on? All that stuff. And none of that gets addressed, you know. So for people watching it, again, going back to my point about, you know, not being presented with a clear-cut narrative kind of conclusion, that, that would have annoyed people. But I think to McGowan, Yes, it was right, I and mean, for me, it's right because I mean, I you know, I've spent years and years writing about this now, and I think the reason people are still discussing the prisoner and coming back to it is because of that last episode. I mean, if it had a more conventional ending, which I'm sure George Lockstein would have wanted, I don't know. People would probably still remember it, maybe as a contemporary of the Avengers, you know, and call it that one with the big white balloon, you know. But I don't know if it would have ever had a had the same kind of impact culturally. I don't think it would have had the same kind of impact on things that came afterwards, you know, like Lost, like Life on Love, and, and other kind of very adventurous kind of groundbreaking television. I, I, I think, you know, I think for all sorts of reasons, that's why, you know, Fallout is a satisfying ending. It was, it was 1983, and I was watching on an old black and white telly. Um, I, I think there was an art student at the time, and I'd just gone to college. And I'd watched it all, and, um, and weirdly enough, then I was watching it in black and white, like people had first seen it in the 60s in black and white, because obviously there was no kind of telly in Britain then. And I just remember being, you know, the minute Dem Bone starts up, I thought, my grief, we're really going something quite strange here. I thought, I it's brilliant. It's, it's absolutely fascinating, you know, um, spellbinding. It's like, still all these years later, there's, very few things like that that can just, I mean, the prison have been weird enough up to that point, but you know, to go the final distance like that is just, oh, it's astonishing stuff, you know. And, you know, the, the whole kind of turnaround in the character, suddenly he's using machine guns on people, you know, he's, he's been kind of like, not a pacifist, but he's kind of not used extreme violence up to that point, you know. It's, and suddenly, and, and the use of all you need is love. I mean, that blew me away, you know, because from what i kind of gathered since then, Probably the first use of pop music in an ironic way, because it's obviously commenting on the action. Everyone's being machine gunned and cut down by bullets, but it's the, the Beatles are singing all you need is love. I mean, and that's been copied so much. And you know, I'm thinking of things like, you know, Apocalypse Now, when they're playing the end by the doors over, I think, what's his name? I can't remember the character's name, but he's going kind of nuts in his hotel room, you know. And it's been used of that idea. As far as I know, I think the, that the prison was probably the first instance of that. So, you know, but it's, it's mind-blowing stuff. I mean, it, and it's, I don't use that phrase glibly. I think it was a genuinely mind-blowing piece of telly. And even watching it on a black-and-white set in, what it was, 83, you know, it, it's still mind-blowing. I mean, it's, it is an incredible piece of television, I think. But, I, but as I said before, I think as the years have gone on and television has caught up with it, I think... You know, you've been able to see how far ahead of his time the girl was, really. I mean, I'm I not, I don't think I'm overstating the case to say it's probably 
why I wrote my first book on the prisoner. Because um, just because of that, you know, the kind of marvelous kind of visual conceptual madness of it, I think, you know, the prison couldn't have ended. It ended at its height. You know, I mean, by that point, the gun was firing on all cylinders. Um, it means, you know, something like that truly shows you the potential of television and filmmaking, filmmaking generally, I suppose, and what you can do in something that was really supposed to be a kind of you know, loosely speaking, a sequel to Danger and a piece of genre television, that you can completely break all those boundaries. And again, you know, and as you know, as you know, I write a lot about popular culture, and it's great to see things like you know, other shows catching up with that and be genre breaking and sort of take up the gauntlet that McGowan threw down all those years ago. That is very inspiring. I mean, it, you know, it just keeps me. Think about this today. It keeps me. I keep going back to prison. I probably always will do. And it, you know, it's it's still every time you watch it, it's incredibly dramatic and cathartic to watch that final episode. And you know, it really makes you. Well, it makes me certainly just like love the whole kind of idea that of popular culture, what it can do, and how it can all interact together. And I suppose, and I found that so inspiring. I've well, trying to make a kind of little career out of, you know, writing about it, I suppose. I mean, I don't know if you know, but the first book was going to be called, first prison book was going to be called Fallout. I wanted to call it Fallout, um, the official guide to the prisoner, I think, but the publisher said, no, no, it's going to be called The Prisoner, the official companion, so I thought, oh, fair enough. But yeah, that, I was going to call, call it Fallout, so I think that, that answers your question. <laughs> I think the fascinating thing about the prisoner is a lot of the stuff that happened in it, or the production decisions, were, were you know accidental. And yet they work so brilliantly. Like you know, I suppose the most obvious one is the rover balloon because they couldn't get the original thing to work, and it, frankly, you know, frankly, looked awful. Um, so they use a, a hot, you know, a white balloon. Um, you know, and you get those wonderful episodes at the end where you, they couldn't go back to Port Moon. They didn't have the time or didn't have the money or whatever, and, and you get suddenly you get a Western, <laughs> so you get a girl who's deaf. And so much of that, you know, is accident, which which has turned into brilliance again. I mean, it's just like I don't know. I think I think the, not so much Markson. I think McGoon was a very kind of instinctive um, kind of filmmaker, and if it kind of felt right, he'd do it and try and think, you know, rationalise it later. Which, if you think about it, was probably what is pretty much kind of um, the way Fallout's built, you know, because I think he said he wrote it in 36 hours towards the end and pretty fast and left it and said, no, that's it, that's fine, not changing it. Yeah, it is great. I mean, I interviewed um, uh, the actor Nicholas Paul recently and he told me that he got into acting because of McGowan, watching Danger Man all those years ago and being inspired, you know. But he was in a play in uh, America, uh, The Dumb Way to Hal Pinter, and uh, McGowan came to see it, and uh, McGowan came backstage to talk to him, and because um, he liked what Nicholas Ball was doing, and Nicholas said, oh, God, I had to ask him, I had to ask him, and I said, what, what was the prisoner about? And McGowan thought about it, and looked at him, and then said, ah, well, the prisoner was about an actor trying to get out of a contract with Lou Gray. And, and of course, that contradicts what he always said, isn't it? I had no contract with Lou Grade, so you never know what we're doing, do you? You know, he's still playing games right up until the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Um, but but it's great. I mean, I, you can go back to it, you know, and I've revisited it several times. And, and your listeners will probably know in, in various things. And there's always something new to see, or there's some something you've missed. That, you know, it, it showed you how densely plotted and written and considered the episodes were. You know, I mean, it really is a fantastic. Fantastic thing. I mean, I, in some ways, also, I feel quite sad when I watch Fallout because I know it's the last one. <laughs> or, or the first one, if you accept the whole within a circle. I know, but you know what I mean? It's, oh, there's no more of these. Such a shame. You know. um, in a way, it's such a shame, you know, Maduro never did anything like it again, but I don't suppose he could have done because, you know, you can only do it once, I think. And, and moving to Hollywood, you never had the opportunity to do that. And we did try with, you know, things like Catch My Soul and stuff, but, you know, it was not on the same kind of scale as he, when his star was at its height in the in the 60s, you know. So really, it's for all sorts of reasons, it's a massive cultural touchdown in my life. And, and you know, and, and, and personally, I just, you know, it's it sort of kick-started my career as a writer and, I'm, you know, I'm still at it. So I'm, I'm certainly grateful for that. <laughs> And next up, we're joined by Rupert Booth, who is a actor and writer and who joined us for the episode Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling. Rupert is the author of the Patrick McGowan biography, Not a Number. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. Fallout, what Fallout's about to me is... is the final um, triumph of the individual. It is, you know, ex- exactly as, as the judge says, you know, he has gloriously vindicated the right of the individual to be individual. It is a vindication of number six's fight. It is a victory for him, I think. I think. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Fallout's actually quite direct in, in what it sets out to achieve. It doesn't maybe seem so on first viewing. Um, but it's all in there. Yeah, yeah, it, it's basically about saying, look, number six was right. Um, no, you can't do this to, to me. Uh, I am a free man. You know, it is, it, is, it is indeed his vindication. For me, it was a very satisfactory ending. I think it's an extraordinary... It's my favourite episode. I think it's an extraordinary piece of work. I think it was going to be extraordinarily difficult to finish it convincingly and successfully. I know it doesn't work for everyone. Um, but for me, I honestly can't see any other way he could have done it. Um, you know, the revelation of number one is for me entirely satisfying. That's where it could have fallen down, obviously, if number one had, had been a letdown. And, and as David Tomlin reportedly said when he read the script, well, who else could it be? You know, um, of course it had to be him, didn't it? So, so yeah, I, I, I was entirely satisfied by, by Fallout. I have very strong memories of watching it for the first time. So the first time I saw it, I, I hadn't seen the series on broadcast. A friend showed me some Channel 5 videos, and I became so obsessed with the damn thing that, that um, I thought... I, and he only had the first um, four or five tapes or something. I think it went up to, to um, Hammer into Anvil, something like that. I'm not sure. So I didn't know what the ending was. And, and I, I, I was so obsessed, I eventually went to WH Smith and bought a VHS of Fallout, thinking, no, I have to know. I have to know how this ends. Now it'll all make sense to me. And I sat down and watched it. And then I sat down and watched it again. Straight away, I remember I wound it back and watched it again, going, what? What? Um, 
the first time around, I didn't actually recognize who number one was. Um, now, I, I still found it satisfying that number one was this gibbering madman. You know, that worked perfectly for me. But then, of course, the second time I went, oh, my God. So, um, yeah, so so I, I definitely watched Fallout twice. And then uh, one of my best mates came around and I said, right, I've got the end of the prison. You're not going to believe this, mate. Sit down. Watched it a third time in the same day and, and watched him going, what? Um, what does Fallout mean to me? Um, be yourself, I suppose. Be yourself. Do do what you want to do. I mean, provided you're not hurting other people in doing so and all that sort of thing. Be be, you know, be the individual. Stand up. Uh, for your own rights, um, don't don't buy into everything that you're told. Um, you know, think things through, and, and if you get it all right, maybe you'll end up sitting on the on a throne with a, with a tiny butler next to you. Including thoughts about the, about the whole series, I, I think it's an extraordinarily important piece of work. Still, um, I I wish it was more widely known. Although I do, you know, meet young people who pick it up all the time and, 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 and go with it and get it. I honestly think it's vastly more relevant today than it was in the 60s. Uh, I mean, you know, McGowan was right. There are cameras on every street corner now. Uh, we are being watched all the time. The whole, the, 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 the side of surveillance on the internet and things like that, you know, he, he couldn't have foreseen that then. Um, but, but, you know, really, it, it's, it, it made me very aware of those issues to begin with. And I think it would work again to make people aware, I, I, I think, you know, if, if anyone was going to do a continuation, not a reboot, I cannot stand them. Um, and there'd be no point in doing a reboot without McGowan, as, as I'm sorry, I think the, the, the attempt to do it proved. Um, but I think if, if one was to take the themes of the prisoner uh, and the setup, the organization, the village and all that sort of thing, dispense with number six, obviously, because one has to. Um, but have a new prisoner and all that sort of bit, then I'd, I'd make it, their opening line wouldn't be we want information because they've already got it. We've already given it all to them on Facebook and things like that, you know, and scare people again. Um, I think I think, I think think it's a very scary series uh, when you really go deeply into it. And, and just tremendously enjoyable, very, very well made and absolutely uh, a highly authored piece i've said before i think that i think it's kind of mcguin's biography in a way so autobiography anyway um and yeah yeah I, i'd uh, I, I recommend it highly to people i saw on twitter just last night um someone saying i've just seen the prisoner for the first time and it really is fucking good isn't it and i had to go isn't it just um you know and that that, that delighted me so uh nicely done patrick you know good one be seeing you And next up is Ian Meadows, who is a sound designer, DJ and writer who has worked on the Big Finish audio dramas of The Prisoner. And Ian joined us very early on in the series to talk about his favourite episode of the show, A, B and C. Voices are like fingerprints. No two are the same. Even if the voice is disguised, the pattern doesn't change. I'll now show you the voice pattern of your caller. For me, I think it's about the battle that we all go through. How much do we conform before we lose our identity? Um, how individual can you be in a society which demands and to a degree depends on everybody conforming, everybody following a set of rules? 
And I think that's that's really what it was about for me. And I think that it's the culmination. It's been building up to that, I think, through the series as number six rebels and keeps trying to be that individual. He just won't let go. But I think there comes a point where you need to make a decision. Are you going to be an outcast or are you going to make some attempt to fit in? But individuality is still very much the center of that because I think it's, um, it's, it's all illustrated beautifully when he pulls off the mask and then he finds himself looking at himself. Who is number one? Well, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, isn't it? So that, I think that is for me what, what that final episode is about. I don't remember being annoyed when I watched it. I remember thinking, Actually, I do remember thinking, yeah, this is perfect. This, this is just, you know, because I do think he, I do think he knew what he was doing. And I do think he knew that because it is, it's, it's almost like art, isn't it? It's like when the artist, it's like that thing in Tony Hancock, that film he was in. I can't remember the name of the film, but he's this, he, you know, he's a sculptor and, he, you know, he unveils this sculpture at the end and everybody's horrified, you know. But I mean, you know, one man's art is another man's horror. So I think it is, it is easy. To dismiss it and I you know I don't think it, it should be because I I definitely think he knew what he was doing it might not have been to your taste but you got to give the man credit I, th- I think I mean the, the series I mean there were so many surreal moments and so many elements to it that, that weren't run-of-the-mill that to have an episode like that, which is completely bonkers, it really, really is. But for me, yeah, it did feel quite satisfying because I, for me and my personal interpretation, and this is what I like about The Prisoner, that you can interpret it in lots of different ways. But for me, it was, oh, yes, yes, this is all about facing yourself in many ways. I mean, can you look at yourself in the mirror in the mornings and say, Yes, this is me. I mean, that's that's really, I think, for me, what it was about. And yes, it was satisfying. Yeah. When I was watching it, it was back in 93, so I'd have been in my 20s. And I think there was still that, that feeling of, you know, the show was talking to me. The show was all about feeling that perhaps you didn't quite fit in or you didn't really want to quite fit in you didn't want to follow the herd but at the same time you know you recognize that you've got to go and uh, do the things that society demands of you and and I, I just felt that I, I was I was very satisfied with it I felt that it was I felt that it was all good I didn't I didn't not like what I was seeing I didn't fly into some kind of fury like some people did I understand and I suppose during the 60s, you could sort of understand when it was first shown that maybe people would have flown into a rage because it was so out of the ordinary. But I think by the time, you know, we reached 1993, when I was watching it, you know, we were kind of used to, you know, psychedelia and, and ideas and, and expression and self-expression. So, yeah, I was I was happy. I was good. And the wine probably helped as well or the beer or whatever I had on the go at the time. Yeah. I said su- I suppose it means I suppose I felt that maybe it was okay to actually sometimes feel alienated. I mean, I think that 
and I think that, you know, the show made me feel that it was all right to sometimes be annoyed at the world. Um, so I think I, I, I take that um, with me. I, one of the other things I think that, um, that, that it possibly said to me was it's OK to actually experience perhaps um, mental illness. And I, I don't mean that, you know, in, in a way that, you know, disses the condition in any way, disrespects it. But I think all of us go through depression or mild depression or perhaps a feeling of alienation. And, and you might describe that as a, as a mental condition. Uh, but being able to re, to recover in some way and reintegrate yourself into society, I think, is another sort of theme of the episode if that sort of makes sense um because i think you can you can you know with the modern world you now more so than ever with social media and you know the the way that we're all observed and that nobody is really allowed to uh you know to step out of line i mean look on social media if, if somebody says something which other people regard as unpopular or you know you, you become unmutual almost don't you um so yeah i, I think that was in there as well for me Maybe so. I think that that's all of those themes. That's that's maybe what it means to me. You know, I do think that it. I think it's an interesting episode. I think, I mean, there's all kinds of rumors. You hear all kinds of rumors about the fact that, you know, it was written in a hurry and that he didn't know how to end it. But I think I think he did. I think he, I think he knew what he was doing, and I think it it is a it is a masterstroke. And I think he was he's very much a visionary, is McGowan, because everything that he was talking about in the prisoner in in a freaky way it's come to pass all of it you know i mean you even down to clones and and the technology that existed in the village at the time you know the the, the social media thing though i think is really interesting because that that really is and the unmutual aspect of it i think is absolutely incredible so but maybe then society hasn't really changed too much maybe we are just you know, destined to constantly keep repeating. And that maybe that's that's another theme about that episode as well, because you do get the impression that it's it's cyclical, that, you know, maybe he might decide to rebel again and then he'll be taken off to the village again. And then, and then the process begins all over again until that point where he decides to re-enter the human race. I mean, maybe it's just one giant hallucination, a dream, you know, a dream state. But, uh, yeah, I think... I think he was a clever stick, was Patrick McGowan. Yeah. You know, there's something there for, for all of us to enjoy. But ultimately, you know, we end up with that uh, that episode at the end, which is bonkers. But it is. I mean, it is madness, isn't it? That episode is is the personification of madness. And if, if that is what The Prisoner is all about, it's about one man's descent into madness and then coming out the other side, going back to that, that idea of mental illness, then, then it works beautifully. And, and I think that that is the way that society can drive you. You know, I, I really do think that there are, there are times when you wake up in the morning and it's just too much, you know. And so maybe in your mind you do go to that happy place, but then you wake up and then you're in the village. So it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I think he was, he was just a genius really um we can only but raise a glass or in my case a cup of tea tonight to uh, to patrick mcgoin but yeah i think it's it's just wonderful 
And now we have Alan Stevens, who is a writer and co-author of The Fallout Guide, together with Fiona Moore. And Alan previously joined us to talk about Free For All. Vision, did you get that? Camera one, perfect, sir. Camera two, perfect, sir. Audio. Loud and clear, sir. What was Fallout about? That is an enormous question. I don't really feel that I can uh, answer sufficiently. Uh, I wrote a book with Fiona Moore called Fallout, the Unofficial Unauthorized Guide to Prisoner, and we talk about it extensively in the, uh, the, final, in the final chapters. And there's one chapter um, called SA5, who is number one. And we have a chapter titled like number one as the individual, or uh, number one as society, or uh, number one as the destructive shadow, number one as id, number one as God. And uh, we go through it and say, all these interpretations are valid, but equally that they are in some way flawed. They don't entirely fit what we have, and they don't fit in different ways. If having written this book, I can't answer the question, Certainly now, several years after I've written the book and my memory is fading slightly, um, I don't think I can answer it at all. So what was Fallout about? I haven't a clue. Well, the next question, I suppose, is, was it a satisfactory ending to The Prisoner? Yeah, I think it was. If you look at the last two episodes, Once Upon a Time was written quite early on, and various writers were picking up on elements of that story and using it in their own stories. And so, in a way... When Once Upon a Time is shown as episode 16, um, it answers a lot of the mystery which effectively was born from that story. However, there are also other elements and new elements introduced uh, during the writing of those episodes. And these are effectively addressed, I feel, in Fallout. So you have, you know, them going underground and a kind of military setup and uh, the, the president and various people representing anarchy and authoritarianism and all this stuff but basically all dressed the same so in in many ways uh, it's saying that this is a uh, reflection of the village and that also uh, perhaps you know as anarchy is dressed in the same costume as uh, authoritarianism that somehow all these elements are part of society which would mean that the prisoner himself was part of society back in 19 i think it was 80 Four, when that episode was shown on Channel 4, which is the first time I saw it, um, it ended with the gates, the prison gates closing three times. And, that, and then there was a documentary on after as well. There was a kind of, this, he is still the prisoner, he is still part of the village, he has left the village, but the village is still inside him, kind of reading there. And there's an idea that, you know, cyclically it went back to the beginning again. You could start with him you know, resigning and then the, the arrival and all this stuff, and he's sort of trapped in this this circle. But the original episode, when broadcast in 1968, didn't have that uh, gate crashing at the end at all. It was, it was completely missing. And I think that's interesting, and it could suggest that, you know, that perhaps he has in some way escaped from the village, that the reading that he is still trapped isn't necessarily the, the true one, though it has become possibly the dominant one, and one that many people still believe. What did I think of it when I first saw it? Uh, well, I had this habit of, uh, I was about 17 when it was on, and I had this habit of uh, drinking stout 
when it was on. Um, because somehow when I drank stout, uh, I kind of felt happy and slightly, uh, you know, drunk. And the episodes kind of made more sense to me. So I think probably when I watched it uh, back in 1984, um, I, I, I enjoyed it and uh, I tape recorded it and listened to it several times uh, afterwards. But uh, I, I don't think I... Um, I don't think I was terribly shocked that it was uh, um, so eccentric and way out. I think I was prepared for that. And then there was a documentary on afterwards, which feebly attempted to explain what was going on. Um, I think I was more surprised by it when I was asked to write the book on, uh, with Fiona Moore, to write the book on The Prisoner, um, in that I uh, watched the episodes in sort of, I think it was broadcast order. And I think the final one came um, somewhere, sometime around Christmas, and I was at my parents' house, and then my father wandered in, and I was kind of watching it like through his eyes, in a way. You know, I mean, he he didn't seem to react at all. <laughs> Perhaps he himself had been having a bit too much of a Christmas spirit, but kind of looking at it from that perspective, I was thinking, what is going on? What what actually is happening here? You know, that there seemed to be, as I'd watched the previous six episodes, there seemed to be something so different that um, I, I, I seemed completely bemused, confused, and a bit scared by it. And I thought, my goodness, how am I going to write, how are we going to write a book about this episode? I, I don't know what it, it means. It's a bit like when you tune into a film, uh, when you go, to, go on holiday and you put a film on, and it, it, it's in Spanish or German, whatever, and you can't speak Spanish or German, although Fiona obviously can, being very clever, but I can't. And uh, you watch it and you think, I have no idea what is going on here. So that was a bit like uh, The Prisoner. Back in the 70s, there was a TV series called Monkey, uh, which was a a a Chinese legend or mythology, uh, but a Japanese show. And uh, what they, they they redubbed it. David Collins did Monkey, and there was various other actors who came in and redubbed it. And it was later revealed that the guy who did these productions didn't really have much idea of what was really going on and kind of watched it and thought, well, this is probably what's happening here and that's probably what's happening here. Or perhaps a better um, comparison is The Magic Roundabout and uh, Eric Thompson got these French cartoons and basically just made up a narrative as he was going along, uh, which kind of fitted the image. And I think somehow Fallout is a bit like that. You you watch it and um, you watch it the first time and you have no idea what's going on. And then you watch it the second time and you start to create a narrative in your head which makes sense and finally you write a book about it and then 10 15 years later you go back and watch it again you think what the hell was that and you start and you start again so you know i'm sure there was i'm sure there was an idea i don't know was there but patrick mcgoon wrote it in 36 hours um that is not a criticism i can absolutely understand how someone who is imbued with this show is is lived this show is uh directed it is written various episodes, is, is fought to keep it going, has, you know, absorbed it and can say, okay, this is the end, bang, and write it out, you know, in one long, great splurge. And it works. And I think a very good series can be spoiled by a bad ending. And a, a, a fairly average series can be hugely improved by a very good ending. And luckily, The Prisoner was both a very good series uh, with a very dramatic um, and memorable ending. So uh, I think uh, score, well done, Patrick. You did a great job there. I'm impressed. We're still talking about it. 
years and years later. So still trying to fathom it out. But that's part of the that's part of the magic of it, isn't it? Really, it defies analysis. I don't really see Fallout as an individual episode. I think it's part of a whole, and I think also the mystery of Fallout enhances the rest of the series. Nothing is entirely certain because nothing finally was nailed down bar that number one and the prisoner appear to be the same person. Although even then, you have to ask yourself, how is how is that possible? And at which point did number one become the prisoner? Was he the prisoner from the beginning? Is the reason why in Fallout, you know, he says, I'm in control, blah, blah, blah. No one takes any notice because effectively he was always in charge. <laughs> so, you know, you know, things aren't going to be different from yesterday today, are they? Because you were always there. You were always, nothing changed. So why would she listen, why should we listen to you now? I, I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting, I think mean, that's a new thing I could put in the next edition of the book. But the thing is, that it's an amazing series, The uh, Prisoner, and it's been hugely influential. Uh, I was watching a promo recorded a, a few months back and hadn't got around to watching it, series two of Westworld, and I was watching that and I thought, my God, this is, this is, brilliant and also it's hugely indebted to the prisoner at one point you know the guy comes out of the room and he sees his cowboy town and he says stop and everyone stands still and i thought <laughs> you know this is fantastic i mean brilliant series westworld but i don't think westworld could have been written if the prisoner hadn't been created i think that sometimes you, you do something and uh then people build on that or go back to it and examine it and and until that was written, until that was made, it never existed. It was a pathfinder. You can point to various programs and documentaries and things of that period and say they all appear to, you know, be following along certain ideas and things that appeared in the prisoner. But somehow the prisoner was able to take all those elements and digest isn't the right word, um, because that would suggest it was some kind of or process isn't the right word, either. It was to take all those elements and throw them at the audience and say, here I am, what do you make of that? And uh, that's um, brilliant. And, and also, I mean, it's, it's the fact he made it in color is a great bonus because, you know, they hate showing black and white programs on TV, which I think is a huge mistake. But The Prisoner will always get repeated because, you know, it's a beautifully made color series made on uh, film, you know, and you release it on video and then you release it on Blu-ray, and I'm sure another 10 years' time they'll find some Blu-ray Plus where it looks three-dimensional and they'll release it again. So I, I, I don't think the show is going to go away. Um, one last thing I'd like to say is I've been watching some episodes of Special Branch, which uh, were episodes scripted by George Markstein. And uh, that's that's very interesting. There's a, Obviously, there's a kind of prisoner thing there because, of course, Markstein is a, one of the founders of The Prisoner. But there's an element of the special branch setup where everyone is kind of suspect and uh, a bit right wing and a bit paranoid. And um, I can kind of think why, you know, the prisoner, if the prisoner is John Drake, you know, why John Drake, having been part of this universe, if he comes to the conclusion that really the people who he's obeying or whose orders he's following are actually nasty, possibly evil, then you can see why he would want to rebel. But equally, you could see why the people who were in charge, who would not have seen themselves as being nasty or evil, would have had no comprehension of why he'd 
he'd run at all. So I think probably at the end of the day, the prisoner had a stronger idea of why he went than the people who governed him. And yet the people who governed him should have known why he went. But through their failure of accepting their own selfishness and greed or stupidity, they, they were unaware of themselves. So the marker of the prisoner going, of McGowan, number six, of John Drake or whatever he is, leaving them, they, they couldn't fathom it. It was, it was beyond them. So big thank you to everyone who returned to talk about Fallout. It was fascinating getting everyone's take on the episode. And we're not done with Fallout yet because next up we're going to be turning the podcast over to you, the listener, to get your take on Fallout and The Prisoner. Yes, so we've invited uh, listeners of the podcast to send in their thoughts and feelings on the final episode what they felt it meant to them, and indeed their thoughts on the show as a whole. And that'll be coming up in the next Tally Ho podcast. Yes, and thanks to everyone who's been sending in their comments. It's always really lovely to hear from people who are listening to the podcast. If you do want to get in touch with us, you can find us on all the usual social media by searching for Time for Cakes Now. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and of course on our website as well. Well, that's it for now. Until the next Tally Ho podcast, be seeing you. Thank you.